Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match! Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'll look back at the first day of the final test from Hobart with Simon Mann, who's not in Hobart, actually. He's in Sydney still. He'll tell us why in just a minute, but uh, it's been the same old story, I suppose, uh, this particular day's cricket, where England started superbly, faded quite badly, and in the end, you'd say Australia are on top. Uh, we're going to talk ab- about the day's play. Uh, we're also going to look ahead a little bit to what England can do in the future in the hands of Paul Farbrace, who was our guest in the Virtual Cricket Club last night. And he's got some interesting thoughts on England's structure and what they can do to, to improve in many ways going forward. So that'll be in the second half. But first, let's just look at the first day's play from Hobart on... A pitch, I, I guess you could have lifted straight from Derby or, or somewhere, early season. Lovely and green, seeming all over the place. England making early inroads, but not capitalising. It looked like Wimbledon Common. I don't know about Derby. <laughs> it, looked like, it looked like Wimbledon Common in, in April, after a wet April. I mean, it was unbelievably green. And it looked like a no-brainer from my distance, because I am still in Sydney. And the reason I'm still in Sydney is because the day after the Sydney Test match, I had a positive COVID test. So I have been isolating uh, for seven days, a bit like Travis Head had to after the Melbourne Test match. And it did him some good, didn't it? I mean, he came out and played uh, superbly today. I think he was fed a little bit by England's bowling, which I thought was really poor. I actually thought... England today looked like a rabble, to be honest, at, at times. Uh, you know, they had that amazing start, 12 for three, and they just sort of completely lost the plot. Really poor bowling, half volleys, wide, uh, on the pads. And Australia, you know, it, it felt as if they wanted to counter-attack, and it just, it just, it just fed them. I mean, it was like setting the bowling machine up. Here we go, here's another four ball, here's another one, here's another one. And before long... England completely lost control. And actually, there was one point, I mean, it's funny, actually, on, on TV, if you're just watching on TV as I was today, you know, the cameras are focusing on various players and they're focusing on Joe Root at one point. It's something you might have missed if you'd been in the commentary box watching on from, you know, 80 yards away. But he, at one point, he looked really angry. I think there was a single given away on the offside. Now, that, that's how I read it anyway. And he felt there shouldn't have been a single. And there was, there was a real sense of irritation. And you just felt he'd sort of got to that almost end of tour 
boiling mm. point. You know, he yeah. looked really frustrated. He, he, he just looked really frustrated with the world today. In fact, England, sort of midway through the day anyway, when the ball was disappearing to all parts, I mean, they looked to me like the crew that had just lost the boat race. You know how they're, when, when you've got the Oxford and Cambridge boat race and won, the team that have won, the yeah. crew that have won, are sort of buoyant and jumping up and down, punching the air. And the, the team that have lost, the crew that have lost, look as if they're half dead and they're barely able to lift a finger to get out of the boat and lift their oars out. And I guess, you know, it has been, and when you are losing, you feel even more tired. And a gruelling tour Australia is generally anyway, when you're being hammered like this, and also you've got the, the isolation issues and the uncertainty of, um, I, I think, you know, and you can sort of talk about this yourself, you know, I suppose you, you, you kind of treading on eggshells every day, knocking around people um, or who may or may not be infectious. And then if you're infectious, you can infect the whole team or the broadcasting team or whatever. So it must be quite a, a, a sort of fragile existence, really. Yeah, I mean, it's not been an easy tour for, for England. I mean, you know, been, they have had off-field issues. You know, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that. That COVID outbreak they had in Melbourne, you know, I think was quite debilitating. Although, as it turned out, they actually drew the Sydney Test match. You know, they, they, they showed a bit of fight, actually, in Sydney. That was their best performance of the tour so far. But it's been, a, you know, a long tour, uh, some restrictions, not as many restrictions as they, you know, they had in the past. Uh, you know, for example, you know, that first summer when they were just really locked down in bubbles, as indeed all the, you know, the broadcasters were as well. I mean, that was quite sort of punitive, uh, but it's just, you know, cumulative. And I think, you know, the bottom line is we've, we've been here before. Australia are a better side than England. There are too many holes in this England side. I mean, they, they keep saying we've got all these good players, you've got all these good players, but I don't think they've got a good team. And actually, we've been saying it. I, I certainly have been saying it for, for a while now that it's, it's not a very good England team okay they can knock off some of the lesser nations in test cricket like Sri Lanka when they went to Sri Lanka but against you know, decent quality opposition uh, they struggle and I, I thought I thought today was a really poor performance you know I, they look injured players tired players rusty players I mean poor old Chris Wokes you know he came in and bowled he looked he just looked a bit off the pace and that that helped Australia as well. I mean, Robinson and Broad, Rexon at the start, they were sort of on it. But then, of course, Robinson got injured. Uh, Broad, I thought, was good. Um, Woods playing his fourth match. And, and they really got stuck into him. Um, one for 79 from a, yeah, 11 I mean, and a half it, overs. It sort of wasn't his pitch, really. And I know no, that sounds no. odd, but he actually mm. prefers a hard, bouncy pitch rather than a seeming pitch because he's not a precision operator. And that's what you need on a, on a surface like this. You just need to plug away at the same line of length, which someone like Ollie Robinson and, and Stuart Broad do really well. Broad, um, Wood is more of an attacking bowler, and that's a euphemism for the fact that you do bowl the odd loose ball. But, you know, he does take wickets on flat pitches as well. So he has a, a, a kind of more valuable asset when the, when the, the conditions are more in a batsman's favour, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he he actually was sort of brought to Australia for Australian conditions, but actually some of the conditions in this series have not been very Australian. I mean, Joe Root was sort of quite perplexed at the toss. I mean, he looked down and he said, you know, we've actually seen some pitches on this tour that we didn't really expect to see. And I think, you know, and the, the pitch in Hobart today uh, was one of them. I mean, it's, you know, it felt like perfect bowling conditions, overcast, really green surface, and, you know, the chance to bowl first. I know, I, I, do you know how I, I think would have bowled well today on that surface? 
Someone what, called Darren Jimmy Stevens. A- <laughs> well, he might have done actually. He might. He was a very good. That's a good response. Someone called Jimmy Anderson might have bowled pretty well in the in those conditions. Uh, you know, they they just lacked a bit of backup. I think that was so. so the, the pressure came off. Wokes rusty. Wood. And he was injured, wasn't he? Apparently. He well, had an eagle. They, I mean, that's why he well, didn't get picked. They said they had, yeah. They say he's got a niggle, Jimmy Anderson. So yeah, he, he didn't he didn't play in the game. That the the, uh, the hero of the of the last over in Sydney with the bat. So I was just looking at it. Uh, Woods played four Test matches. Robinson's played four Test matches. Broad has played three Test matches. Anderson has played three Test matches in this series. And Chris Wokes has played three Test matches in the series. So there's been a you know been a rotation. The one player, of course, they haven't used is is, is Craig Overton, who, yeah. who did make his debut in the last Ashes tour four years ago. But you know the, he's the uh, the auxiliary bowler here, and he and he hasn't been used at all. Um, so I, the, the other issue I have with England a, a bit today, I think, is was why was Ben Stokes playing? I just I just don't understand it. I mean, the the Ashes have gone. I know there are World Test Championship points on offer, and I know Stokes played really well with the bat. And fair play to him. He, you know, he was excellent uh, with the bat in Sydney with that damaged side. But you sh- you think I, mean, I don't know the sort of medical diagnosis, but it is a it is a sort of tear in his side. It's not going to get better by playing. And you think, well, surely just take him out of the firing line. I was watching him fielding today. And he seemed sort of okay to start with, and he went to field the ball, and he just felt it again, which is inevitable. I mean, that's what happens with with, with muscle problems; they don't just get better overnight. It just seemed a really strange thing. I mean, it may be that he just said, "I want to play. I'm desperate." Well, to play. and also you know, they would have also thought that you know he an essential part of the batting order. They're very well, of course he is, but team and of course, but you don't play. You don't, you know, mm. you don't. What, of you course, don't the, play the unfortunate players. thing. The unfortunate thing is that he can't stand a slip because of his. Because of his broken finger or formerly broken finger, so you know it, it's it's a bit of a it is a lottery in a way, um, but it shows how desperate they are to show some backbone with the bat because they're prepared to play him only half fit. Yeah, well, of, of course. I mean, I understand the reasons for playing, and I just don't think they're very sensible ones. You know, it, it's, just, it, it's it's it looks like really hard work from out in the field, mm, yeah. you know, and it's it, it, and it's debilitating as well in the way that his you know when he when he played with his damaged finger in the summer, that's debilitating as well. But you know, okay, he, he's I don't know, I don't you, you, I'd, I'd like to know what the conversations were behind the scenes. But he's a strong character. He probably said, "What definitely, you know, I really want to play. I want to be out there." And you know, who knows? He might rattle off some runs uh, when when England get to bat. But I thought, you know, for his sort of medium term sort of fitness future, it's not it's not a good look really. Um, mm. And generally speaking, I think in in most sporting teams, on most occasions, you're actually better off going with eleven fit people rather than you know nine fit people and two half fit ones. You know, I always think now with football, you know, so there's always oh, we're going to risk him, you know, and no, just play a fit player. Because um, generally speaking, a fit player is better than a, a star player who's you know sixty percent fit. Nice to see um, one very fit player, Sam Billings, getting his uh, Test match debut. Mm. The seven hundredth man to play for England in a Test match. Uh, a, a nice moment for him. Perhaps three or four years later than he would have liked. But I'm interested to see how he goes actually, because I think he's one of those cricketers who can adapt to any format, and uh, he's got cl- real class. So. Good luck to him. I mean, England started well, didn't they? Uh, three wickets for 12. And interestingly, the fullest length that they've bowled, I think, almost in the last 10 years or something, apart from one other game, 
the fullest length they bowled and enough seam movement to get those early wickets. And then all the plans went to pieces. I mean, credit to Australia, though, because of the way they played. Labuschagne, uh, very uh, almost arrogant, um, audacious uh, method, uh, you know, almost sort of more extreme than normal. But I thought he played a bit like a Kevin Peterson type of innings. You know, he took the attack to the bowlers. He got right across outside off stump. In the end, got out in a comical way, uh, almost sort of taking the mickey to getting over across too far and and actually doing himself almost a mischief, really, and losing his wicket. And that will be replayed many times over the years, sort of sliding on, looked like he was on ice in the end, uh, with, roll, roll, with um, ice skates on. Um but also Travis Head, the way he played, uh, the second time he's done it in, in this series, taking the attack to England, especially smashing it through the offside with, with great effect and putting the bowlers off their lines and lengths. And you, you would have appreciated that. Yeah, it was. I thought yeah, Head played splendidly, but I think England did feed him a bit early on. And, uh, and the same with Labuschagne. I think there was a few too many easy balls, taking the pressure off balls early on. But yeah, they're, they're good players, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, here's something. I mean, who's, who's going to be the leading run scorer in this Ashes series? It's not Smith. It's not Labuschagne. It's not Warner. It's Travis Head. I mean, you, you probably wouldn't have come up without the start of the series. Of course, that can change in, in the rest of the game, but he's got a couple of hundreds. He's, he's missed one test match, but, you know, vital uh, sort of... One of those hundreds in Brisbane that just sort of cemented Australia's uh, good work early on from Warner and Labuschagne. And here he, he, he took the game away from England, not totally away from England. If you look at the score after the end of the first day, I mean, it doesn't look that bad, does it? 241 for six. I think it's one of those sort of what might have been days. I think uh, it's a 200 I think, wicket. I think it's a yeah, 200 that, well, wicket. Yeah, well, possibly. Possibly. Um, we'll see. I mean, it, it may be a 200 wicket for England um, against <laughs> Australia. Well, most Australia's, wickets are 200 wickets for well, England at the moment. Well, that's true. Against Australia's bowling attack, but I mean there were times uh, when uh, Head and when uh, Green uh, were batting, even under the lights, where actually was coming on nicely, and they they were they were striking it quite well. Actually, they both got themselves out. They sort of, they had sort of just mm. opened the door a bit for England. Those two, uh, Head the ball after he, he reached his hundred, and Cameron Green. Well, actually, it was quite good bowling from Wood because he bowled a couple of nasty short balls at him, and he bowled another one at him. And this time he took it on. There was a man out at deep mid-wicket. So it was, it was actually good bowling from Wood. It he was, earned, but I thought wicket. it was half an hour too late. I mean, when you get a tall batsman, a six foot eight he is, isn't he? When you get a tall batsman, you should always try them out with short balls because they quite often, you know, because they're so tall, they've been able to use the front foot method for most of their careers. So generally, they're not very good against the short ball. I, I can think of several examples of batsmen. I mean... Tom Moody was one, actually, who played for Australia, obviously, and very tall, and he wasn't that good against the short ball. Even Graham Hick. I mean, Graham Hick hit my short balls because they were, you know, 72 miles an hour for four. But anyone who was a bit quicker, he, he did struggle when the, the bowling, like the West Indies, when they got the ball into his ribs. He, he didn't play it very well. Tall batsmen are targets. For, even actually Kevin Peterson, who strode onto the front foot, grandly but if you bowled him into the ribs or get him sort of head high he wasn't as good uh, so I, I'm amazed England didn't uh, do, try that straight away if when he Cameron Green got in for you know 10 or 15 runs he should have been bombarded I think because he definitely looked suspect and got out as you say pulling but England was slow I think into that into that tactic 
Yeah, I was listening to Ricky Ponting actually on Channel 7 talking about England's failure to, to bomb Travis Head as well. I think one of the problems was, I mean, they've only got one bowler that really can do that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and he was going around the park a bit. So, you know, they were leaking runs. So they had the, it was, it's all very well for him to say that in a way. Okay, if they had, you know, like four, like the West Indies used to have, or two or three, uh, then fine. Yeah, definitely. You can, you can keep on doing that. But, you know, were they able to sustain it? And, and I don't think they were, actually. I, I, I thought, you know, it's, it's easy to say. And, and actually, Wood did bowl a few, couple of short balls at, at Travis Head. Uh, which discomforted him, but you know, can he sustain it? No, because you know, the runs were coming. Uh, well, yeah, of course, the other it? thing is when you're bowling on a green pitch, you're a bit loath to bang it in yeah, short because you think that yeah. that is not the way to take wickets on that pitch. But it, it should be able to recognise if it's not working. If if you are leaking runs because your cra- you, your, your length isn't quite precise enough, use your other asset, which is pace and bounce, and and find. So, you know, actually, it goes back to my feeling about Mark Wood overall, which is no shortage of enthusiasm, passion, commitment, absolutely fantastic. Doesn't have bowling nous, doesn't have wicket-taking nous enough. And that's something, sometimes you learn it, sometimes you're born with it, sometimes you never get it. And, uh, you know, he doesn't quite get where to bowl at certain batsmen at certain times. And that, that I hopefully he'll, he'll improve, but... You know, he's running out of time, really. And so, listen, Travis Head played really well. Um, he'd been in COVID for a week. You've been in COVID for a week. What have you been doing? And uh, you heard an interview with him and you've got some yeah. sort of similar experiences. Well, I, I was just interested to see how, you know, he was asked about, you know, what he'd been doing and how he'd sort of come out and made 100. Because, you know, you, if, you're, if you're off, you know, sitting in your room for a week, there are things you can do, you know, exercise classes online or whatever, um, but it's not the same as in constant motion, is it? You know, that that constant ticking over every day, walking, whatever, jogging, you know, just keeping the engine going. So, yeah, so he he said, um, yeah, he'd been in seven days isolation. Then he uh, came back to Sydney, had a couple of days of indoor nets, he said, because the pitches were like in Sydney too spicy, there's been a lot of rain around. So he had a couple of days of indoor nets. Then he went to Tasmania. He had two rounds of golf. He said, I didn't do any batting at all. We had a couple of days off. We just relaxed, two rounds of golf. And then I had a tough net where I was determined not to get out. He said, that was my approach in the net. Well, that's what I was working on. Um, he also said that he'd played a shield game at the ground at, at, um, at Bell Reeve early in the season. So he'd, he'd sort of know, he knows the pitch there a bit, or he had a bit of practice on the surface. So all those things helped him uh, put together his his hundred today. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah you, you, you know, you, you had sort of down tools for a week. In a, in a way, I suppose one, one part of that is actually you can just, you can just physically relax. You know, you, you, you're not doing anything. You don't feel that compulsion to, I don't know, go for a run or go for a net or whatever. So, I mean, there's the mental side of it, you know, being indoors and not being able to go out and having your, your, your liberty taken away from you. Um, but if you can, if there are enough things to do, you know, if you can read or whatever, or play chess against a computer, or you know, who got lots of admin to do, then uh, you know you can take your mind off the game as well, and and almost just have a, a bit of a break, I suppose. And yeah, I suppose he had the confidence as well, didn't he, from that hundred at Brisbane uh, behind him as well, uh, to, you know, to, to fall back on. But yeah, he played he played really well, uh, and he's 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 been actually. Uh, really refreshing in this series because the way he's played, he just comes out and attacks, doesn't he? His, his, his run rate has been uh, superb. So what, so what do we think then, Yoss? 2.41 for six at the end of the day's play. We've only had about, uh, well, just under 60 overs. We'll, they'll make up time, early starts, you know, for at least the next couple of days. 
Um, we, we, you think that's a you think that's a big score? Do you already two forty one for six? Yeah, I do. The way it moved uh, early on, it's going to do that again. Uh, yeah, so I, I think England. I personally think England will struggle to make two hundred if, if if Australia bowl well, and having them got a counter attacking batsman um, who's in form, probably not. You know, Stokes and Root will play their solid way. There's no Bearstow. Uh, Ollie Pope will try to find his feet again, but and then obviously you've got Sam Billings making his debut. I mean, he would be the guy actually who could probably counter attack, but it's a bit much to expect him to do that in his first test. So. If England get past 200, I'll be very happy. And I think Australia will get over 300 and probably get a 100 lead. But it's a long way off. I and mean, there's, a, there's a lot can happen. Uh, may, maybe England get some luck. Hopefully Rory Burns uh, gets away to a decent start. And I guess you never know. But for me, it looks like a 220 wicket at the moment. It feels to me as if England won the toss today and they've missed their opportunity. But we'll see. Okay, well, in the second half, we're going to sort of look at uh, the things that England have done wrong. Well, there's plenty of many of those. We could be here all night, actually. And um, um, we're talking to Paul Farbrace about some observations he's made, the former England assistant coach, who, of course, also actually coached Sri Lanka to World T20 glory as well a few years back. And um, actually, you mentioned, Simon, there, Ricky Ponting and his comments about England's bowling. I'm just thinking back to one of the things Ricky Ponting used to insist on when he was preparing for a test match. And he wanted Brett Lee, Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, whoever else, to bowl at him in the nets with brand new balls before a test match. He didn't want nice throwdowns hitting half volleys into the into the net or, you know, you know, kind of the, the types of practices that a lot of current England players and other players from around the world have, he wanted it to be as tough as it could get. And even if the ball was nipping around off the net surfaces, all the better, because he wanted to get into a match frame of mind and challenge himself in exactly sort of match conditions. And I think that that's one of the the, the things that Paul Farbrus was talking about in the virtual cricket club last night, was that the preparation that, that modern players do now it often isn't sufficient. He highlighted Joe Root as, a, as an exceptional practiser. And he also actually mentioned uh, about Virat Kohli, interestingly, that uh, Virat Kohli, before he came to England on the 2017 tour, the India tour of England, he went into the nets in Mumbai at 7.30 in the morning uh, on uh, and, and got the pitches to be made slightly damp. And he got his own sort of ball thrower, coach, to just chuck in balls endlessly on a difficult surface to get his technique really tight and sorted. And so I just think that, you know, generally the preparation has to be so meticulous and coaching also has to be, um, I I suppose, you know, quite rigorous. And, you know, so Paul has some quite strong things to say about coaching. He has some quite strong things to say also about the England structure, about the fact that Chris Silverwood is coach and chief selector. So let's just hear some of his comments, starting with England's experience from four years ago when they lost 4-0 and the legacy of that and perhaps the fact they haven't really benefited from the lessons they should have learned. The thing that 
disappoints me. And I, you know, I can say this, um, I can say this very openly and honestly, the thing that disappoints me more than anything else is that we haven't progressed from four years ago when I was assistant coach with the team. And I, I sat watching the wash up of the game in Adelaide, listening to, you know, the, the captain and the coaches talking. Um, and it was the same, virtually the same thing that we'd said in Adelaide four years previously. We, we bowled a yard too short in the first innings. We didn't get enough runs in the first innings. We dropped chances. And if you don't get runs in the first innings, you're constantly chasing the game. And that game four years ago in Adelaide, Australia got 400, pink ball game, pink ball test. They got 400 and we came to conclusion we bowled a yard too short in the first innings. Second innings, we bowled out for 106. We chased 350. We should have chased 250. 250 we got. We got 258 second innings. And if we'd have chased 250, I think we'd have got we'd have won the game. But we'd made it hard for ourselves because we got bowled out for 200 in the first innings. So by not quite getting our lengths right, they got 400 rather than 300. By not giving ourselves a chance, we only got 200 rather than 300. And we chased 350 um, to win the game and we lose. And so the frustrating thing for me is I, I remember saying at the end of the test match in Sydney that the having lost the series 4-0, we had to find bowlers who could bowl that slightly fuller length in Australia. And I think one of the biggest differences so far in this series is that the Australian bowl, Australian batters have left so much better than our batters have. Because if, if you bowl a good length in Australia, generally the ball bounces over the top of the stumps. And you have a look at the amount of English batters who've nicked balls that aren't hitting the stumps. And you only defend two things when you're batting. You defend your stumps and yourself. And if the ball is hitting six stumps outside of stump and you're defending it, why are you defending it? Leave it alone. But you get drawn into the ball because of the bounce of the ball out there. And I, I don't necessarily think our bowlers actually did bowl that short in Adelaide. I thought, and if you looked at it, that the stats were very, very similar, but they just left better than we did. So the disappointing thing is, we're 3-0 down and the, the Ashes have gone. Very similar to what we did four years ago. 3-0 down after Perth. The Ashes have gone. You then start talking about what you need to do. You need to get bowlers who can get the ball to bounce off a good length. You need to make sure that you catch your catches in the slip because that's absolutely vital out there. And the third thing is you need to get runs in the first innings. Now, you know, it's the same thing that we did four years ago. So my frustrations are that we haven't learned from four years ago. So, you know, I'm I'm not being critical of this current group because I think I'm just as responsible and, and I'm just as disappointed now as I was four years ago. Coaching has got lazy in England. And that's what I've been saying for the last um, few weeks. And, and I, I don't think there's enough players playing at the highest level who have got techniques that are consistent enough. And, you know, consistent technique means that you play forward when the ball's pitched up, you play back when the ball's short, you play under your eyes and you play with the full face of the bat. Now, I, I think we, we're seeing too many coaches who that they're spending too much time allowing batters just to go in and play shots, um, throw their hands at the ball, look to whack it, get a nice 30, get out. Well played. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, well done. That's great fun. But the best players in the world have the best techniques. Virat Kohli, um, Kane Williamson, Joe Root. It's no surprise that Joe Root is scoring the most runs for England. I know he hasn't got 100, but he is scoring the most runs for England consistently around the world. A thousand runs in front of anybody else in the England team. Why? Because he, he plays back when it's short. He plays forward when it's pitched up. He plays the ball under his eyes. Think about all the best players in the world. When they first go in, where do they score their runs? Joe Root, Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli, they score square of the wicket on the offside or just behind square because they let the ball come under their eyes. They play under their eyes. It hits a soft bat and it goes out onto the offside. 
and that's where they score their runs. When Joe Root is playing well, he square cuts, he square drives, and he punches off the back foot brilliantly. That's when you know he's playing well. When Joe Root isn't playing quite so well, the ball's hitting him on the pad because he's falling over too much to the offside. So I, I think, you know, and you look at, you know, you look at so many of our batters at the moment, they're looking to score their runs very quickly before the ball gets them out. And that's because they're not trusting their defence. And the best players have a solid defence. And leaving is just as important. So when mm. people talk about being positive as a batter, for me, and it means different things to everybody, really, being positive means moving your feet to the length of the ball judging the length of the ball. And if you're looking to get yourself in a good position to play an attacking drive to a ball and it's not quite there, you can take your bow out of the way, you can leave it. You can let your hands just drop on the ball and defend it. So you think about Virat Kohli, who I think is, is an unbelievable talent. I, I think he is a sensational player. So what he does, he looks to score off every ball, but he gets himself in a position to score and hit the ball. If it isn't quite there, he defends or he leaves it. But his weight is forward. He's got a good stride in. His head's over the top of the ball. And, and that's why he's able to score runs all around the world. That's why Kane Williamson scores runs all, all around the world. Even Steve Smith, to a certain extent. Steve Smith is a bit like Alistair Cook. He's not a technique you'd say to your 15-year-old son or daughter, copy this player's technique. This is a fantastic technique. But what they both do is they play with a full face of the bat. They hit the ball under their chin and you don't you, you can't see an obvious way of getting them out. And mentally, they're so very strong and they're so very stubborn and they're so very set in how they want to play. And what what concerns me is when you see a batter with his bat coming in from gully and then having to fight his hands to get them back on the line of the ball, it only takes a small movement of the ball in the air or off the pitch and you're, you're playing with the inside or the outside half of the bat. And, and the, the one the one thing that I, I was really lucky that I, I got to chat to Sachin Tendulkar one day, and I asked him, what is the most obvious thing about batting? And he said, 100% concentration on the ball. He said, if I have 1% concentration on my feet, my hands, my head, or my body movement, that means I've only got 99% concentration on the ball, which gives the bowler 1% chance of getting me out. So certainly... Coaching and preparation have not been quite right for England, but also what uh, Fabrice was keen to stress was that although he likes Chris Silverwood as a coach and believes he should retain his job in some capacity and doesn't want to see him, you know, sort of jettisoned in instantly as a sort of knee-jerk reaction to this performance in the Ashes, he also feels that the structure of the coaching setup and selection is wrong. I, I hope Chris Silverwood doesn't lose his job. Um, and I, I know, I know I've been critical of some of the things I've already said on here earlier that, you know, we don't seem to have learned a lesson. I, I, the reason I don't want Chris Silverwood to lose his job is that I don't want to see another English coach lose his job a bit like Peter Moores did a few years ago. And we revert back to an overseas coach. That's not to say that I'm against overseas coaches because that would be hypocritical. Having been and worked in Sri Lanka twice. Um, and Trevor Bayliss is a great friend of mine and I thought did a brilliant job. Andy Flower did a brilliant job for England. But I'd love to see the opportunity for English coaches to be at the top of the game. I, I don't think the coach should be the sole selector. I, and, and under Trevor Bayliss, it, it got raised a few times. He always enjoyed having a selection panel. So we used to have Angus Fraser, Mick Newell and Jimmy Whittaker as our selection panel. And Trevor liked to have the debate and kick it around the table. Chris Silverwood doesn't see enough of English cricket. He doesn't know about the players coming through. Yes, there might be scouts working, but I think it's very unfair on 
spoons to be the sole selector and sole coach. And the other great thing, and I've experienced this as a coach. And when I went to, before I went to Sri Lanka the first time, I was academy and second team coach at Kent. And I came back to become head coach at Kent. And I had a disastrous two years and I got the sack after two years, right? So my career hasn't always been fantastic and brilliant winning things. I had a terrible time. It was my club and I felt terrible. And I got the sack after two years. But Sam Northeast was a young player who I gave his second team debut at 15. And I nurtured him through to 17, went off to Sri Lanka, came back having been an assistant coach, became head coach. Sam's in the first team. And after about a month or so, I said to him one day, mate, what's, we're not quite the same. We're not going the same. And he said... I can't talk to you like I used to. I can't come and talk to you about my game anymore because you're now deciding on the length of my contract and whether I play in the team. I can't come and talk to you about those sorts mm. of issues. So international level, if you're the head coach and the selector, players are not going to come and openly talk to you about that because they're not going to say, I'm struggling against <laughs> the swing bowling. I'm struggling against pace. So I'm a bit, a bit nervous about my game. When you're the coach, when you're the assistant coach, you get so much closer. And one of the things I, I learned very quickly was that Every player comes to talk to me when I'm Trevor's assistant, whether it's Sri Lanka or England, because they want to tell me things and share things. Some things they want me to tell Trev, and some things they want to keep between me and them. And, and the skill is working out what it is that they want you to tell Trev that they don't want to tell him themselves, and some things they want to keep to you. But they don't openly go to the, the head man. And if you're the head man and the selector, that's really, really difficult to do. And I think that's a tough gig for Spoons. I, I would I would like to see Spoons stay in the job. I genuinely would, because I think he's a good man. I think he's really well organised. And I think, you know, he's had a really tough two years with COVID. Well, that was England's former assistant coach who was in charge out here or helped Trevor Bayliss out here four years ago, talking in the virtual cricket club last night. What, what do you think should happen, Yoz? I mean, do you think England should get rid of Chris Silverwood? Do you think England should go back to a, a different type of, of selection okay. structure where you, you don't have one person in charge of, of overall charge of, of selection? There is, you know, more input, you know, like a, a chief selector, national selector, like it's been done for you know, year on year on year. Although I, I did do an interview with Ashley Giles uh, before the SCG test match where he sort of... he. He was quite dismissive of that structure. He was saying, well, you know, no other sport does it like that. You know, wh why are we still doing it like that? It's, sort of, it's like a thing of the past. And that's one of the reasons why he thought it should change. You know, and it did change, of course. And Chris Silver was given the power uh, to select the side. And I, I mean, I know, for example, that, you know, Alex Stewart, when uh, the coaching job was up, you know, one of his big issues was that he didn't have the power. So if, if his head was on the chopping block, if you, if you, if you sort of mean, in the, in the way that Chris Silver was under pressure now, you know, he said, well, how can my head be on the chopping block if I didn't get the side that I want the whole time so that you know that was Alex's argument and um and Chris Silverwood now has got that power and it's obviously not worked out well here so what what, what do you think is the best solution what do you think England should do what do you think they, they might do it's too much responsibility for one person to coach and select you've got to be a coach should coach and a, and a selector should select and I don't feel that I agree with Paul Farbrace that Basically, Chris Silwood is an excellent coach, particularly bowling coach, and that's what he should be doing, I think. He should be doing his specialism, and someone a little more senior, a little more worldly, uh, and when I say worldly, someone who's perhaps worked abroad, 
Paul Farber stressed actually that one of the assets he had was working with Sri Lanka and seeing another culture and seeing different pitches around the world and different approaches to practice and so on was really valuable and he wouldn't have got the England job if he hadn't been in Sri Lanka experiencing that first. So a, a character like a Gary Kirsten who has been round the blocks, you know, coached in other countries, coached other nations would be much more valuable. Test cricket is a very sophisticated game. And you need to have that breadth of vision and uh, knowledge, I think, to be an effective head coach. So definitely, uh, I would probably make Chris Silverwood the either back to the bowling coach or assistant coach and have someone uh, over the top of him. I mean, he's definitely a a decent man and you want players to be able to talk to him and trust him and, you know, utilise his experience and knowledge rather than perhaps, as head coach, be a little bit more wary of him, um, which is what Farbrace suggested happened with Sam Northeast, that experience he had at Kent. So there has to be a separation of the roles. And I think, you know, having a selection panel is good. And the coach and the captain can still have input into that. It's not as if they're going to get the team the selectors want, which the coach and the captain don't. They're going to be on that selection panel, but with two or three other people who've got a broader vision, can get around the counties, talk to players, talk to coaches, etc., get a bit more information in. That way, I think you've got more of a chance of getting the right people on the field. One other uh, thing that happened today in terms of you know, an interview, Tom Harrison uh, gave an interview where he talked about uh, focusing again on, on Red Bull cricket. You know, re- test cricket is the most important uh, aspect to our cricket and we, we need to focus on Red Bull cricket again, which... I mean, from a distance, I mean, I wasn't obviously at the interview. I've just, I've read his quotes uh, from a distance. I thought, you know, th- these are quite strange quotes because Tom has been the, you know, chief executive of the ECB for seven years. <laughs> and, and and it's not as if, I mean, it's not as if people didn't say this could happen. I mean, I think we, both of us said at the start of the last year, look ahead, uh, India away, uh, New Zealand at home, India at home, Australia away. You know, this could all unravel. And, you know, the, the, the fact that, uh, the, the England team, the, the, the Red Bull team, uh, is not that successful. And you look at the talent pool, and okay, there are some good players, but you know, are there consistently good players? Uh, no, and the game doesn't seem to be at the moment producing them. Is there a reason for that? Well, you know, there's been a focus on white ball cricket, the, the championships played at the extremities of the season. You know, England not producing any spinners. I mean, it's not, it's not as if these are new things. Um, but I suppose the one encouraging thing, I suppose, at least there is going to be a or seems to be, there's going to be a, a, a greater focus on, on Red Bull cricket because there really needs to be because England, England are an ordinary side at the moment and the, the sooner they sort of face that and try to sort of address that, the, the better the situation will be. I don't think you can just say, oh, we've got talented players, you know, these, you know we've got lots of good players. No, they're, 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 they've got some really thin areas in their side, spinners, top-order batting, uh, they're going to have to find some new pace bowlers as well with you know with, with Jimmy and Stuart uh, moving on um, s- sooner or later whatever so you know there are, there are lots of things uh, to address and it, yeah. you know they've got to really sort of seriously focus on it yeah i mean in a way the problems particularly with english batting i think are a microcosm of the problems with the ecb in general which is that there's too much responsibility uh, there's too many things going on to manage it um it's like fitting a, a quart into a pint pot 
in a way. And uh, what I mean by that is the ECB have got far too many responsibilities to manage and they can't do it all effectively. And I said that to Tom Harrison, actually, as soon as he started the job. You will never please everyone because you've got so many different uh, people's people to satisfy, agendas to manage and so on. And that's the trouble with English cricket as well. There's too much to fit in. And therefore, for the last four years, or you know, prior to the 2019 World Cup, the emphasis was on white ball. And it was very successful. And England are still the best white ball team in the world, obviously at the expense of their red ball cricket. And you, know, you can't do everything. You can't fit all these competitions in. Batsmen uh, were were directed down the white ball route for a while. The kind of the, the elite batsmen in the game primarily were selected, uh, you know, chosen in that white ball squad to, to focus on the World Cup, to focus on their white ball game. And uh, obviously the county championship as a result got marginalised to the beginning and end of the season. And if you look at the, the county records of, you know, leading young players... Uh, and older players as well, batting records. How many of them average over 40? None, none. They're all in the mid-30s, the, the top players. Guys that scored a 1,000 runs last year, mostly uh, their career averages are about 35. And I'm talking young players and, and older players. There's just not the talent coming through at the moment because they're playing too much cricket at the beginning and end of the seasons uh, on difficult pitches against little medium paces. And you know that's the simplest solution to England's batting woes is to play more four-day cricket throughout the season and place an emphasis on building innings. Mm. There's an elephant in the room though, yours isn't there with that. I mean, you know, there's the there's the hundred, you know, right in the prime spot of the season. So, and and that's something that Tom Harrison has helped to to, to bring in during his time. Well, look, I mean, this is a debate the, the, for another it, day. Really. Exactly, it, it is, it is. But I mean, what I, the, the point the point I'm making is, it, it's it's well, that's what it, it's the same point as I'm making. You yeah. can't fit everything in. It's it's very difficult to fit everything into the to the modern sort of four months of summer. Um, so you know, something has to give. But I think, and look, we'll get into this, you know, maybe next week or something, but I think that they played 100 in the county championship at the same time, uh, you know, and you, you have a bit of an overlap, but that's fine because the two formats are diverging anyway. So uh, that's what I would do. Uh, but, let, let, you know, let's, let's consider that another time. And in the meantime, let's hope England can, uh, can show some more fight <laughs> in the second day of the the Hobart test and, and suddenly, you know, get those wickets quickly, those last four wickets, get batting and bat well. Yep, 2.41 for six, Australia at the end of the uh, first day of this test match. It's actually, you know, look at that score. This is, say, had been the first day at the Gabba or at the Adelaide Oval. Adelaide Oval, 2.41 for six. You said England have had a good day, but it, it doesn't quite feel like it. Anyway, well, who knows? Um, We'll, we'll find out how things uh, progress uh, tomorrow. Early start uh, for the second day of the uh, final test match and we'll be back to report on it uh, once play has concluded. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We'll speak to you again shortly. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.